0: Well, good morning. I guess if there's any place to start my story, it started at a in my grew up in Medford, but my family life was pretty normal, if you would, for an unbelieving family up until oh about my sophomore year of high school. Came home from school one day, my mom is uh, is sitting on the chair crying. And she informed me that my dad is leaving the family. He had had an adulterous relationship, and, and uh, he was walking away. I didn't even see that coming. So to a 16-year-old kid who's already trying to figure out life, it's kind of devastating. And so I took, uh, I, I took a uh, philosophy of, well, if this is what life is going to do to me, then I'm going to fight back with everything I've got. And I'm going to take anything, I'm going to take it to the street. I'm going to do do whatever I need to do to win. And it wasn't in a good way. It was, I'll run over anybody I have to to get what I want. And because nobody was going to do me any favors. If you can't trust your parents, who can you trust? That was my philosophy. And I didn't really articulate that, but the reality was, that's the way I felt. And so that philosophy landed me, uh, well, I I was locked up and wanted in five states, so uh, when I was locked up originally, the first time, I uh, was 22 years old. In fact, I just celebrated my 30-year anniversary of getting saved with Christ just about a week or so ago. So 30 years ago. So I, 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 I come and I get saved when I was locked up, but I, I wasn't done yet. I still had five states that wanted me. So <laughs> I was being shuttled around a lot. And uh, on one of those shuttles, I'm just going to share this, this, this detail with you because it still impacts me to this day. And uh, I was being flown from one destination to another. And I, uh, I was being flown in a Cessna. Uh, the sheriffs were in the front, of course, and I was chained in the back. And uh, I, I knew I still had a long way to go. And I, I, I didn't know really how to pray, but I just found myself calling out to the Lord and said, Lord, I did what I did, and I, I just need to know you're with me. And as the words flowed out of my mouth, I turned to my left and looked out the window. And, and, and as, as you know, a Cessna does not fly at 33,000 feet. It's, it's, you could see the, 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 what do you call those, the sections of, of land down below, and we were somewhere over the Midwest. And, and uh, I, I looked down, and, and, and the Lord had put on some farmer's heart. To, it, was a, it was in the fall time, so it was during harvest. This, guy had, this farmer had taken his combine and written in his field, Jesus loves you. And this, I, I still see the combine at the end of the J. It was still there. And th- this, this, this farmer will never know until we get this side of heaven, he'll never know what he did. I'm trying to picture with this guy, you want me to do what, Lord? You want me to write, Jesus loves you in the field. (laughs) Nobody can see it. Okay. But somebody did see it right at the moment he needed to see it. That still breathes life into me 30 years later. Because at the times in in the darkest parts of my walk, the challenges, that's the one thing I I remember. Jesus loves me. If you get nothing out of today, go away with that. Jesus loves you. And he would do, he he, he, he would put it on a farmer's heart for one man, a criminal, who's being flown across the country, he would put that on some uh, farmer's heart to do that. That amazes me. Well, we'll fast forward a few years here. I I, I did get through all of the, the things. I was transported from one state to another, extradited on several occasions, got through all this stuff. It took a few years. And I, uh, I landed back in Medford, I landed back in Oregon, and I, I, I developed a walk with the Lord. In fact, I ended up uh, back up here at Ashland Christian Fellowship back in the early 90s. Uh, it would be in 90, 1991, somewhere in there. And I, 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 I came back, and I got plugged in with Andy Green's group there over at the Ashland Fellowship, and, and I really began to come alive, the Word began <sighs> to come alive in me, and and uh, I, I developed a love for Jesus that was, uh, it was intense. And uh, I began to, and then I uh, gravitated eventually out to Applegate Fellowship where I ended up down at the mission and, and uh, down at the mission, uh, I went to discipleship school down there, came back, went to the school ministry, some of my classmates are probably, probably here, uh, but uh, went to the school ministry there. From there, I, I, I launched off and uh, went back down to Mexico and 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 shared the word for about eight or nine months down there. And the family moved down. We came back up here to have Josiah, and and uh, went over to Bradley for a couple of years. And then from there went and launched over to Reedsport, planted a church there. And then we went to uh, stay there for five years. Then we planted a church there in North Bend, and so we're there for nine years. And we just came back about four or five years ago. And uh, we so that's kind of where we are. And then. Uh, I uh, I come to this point now, where last year uh, at this time, uh, my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer, terminal brain cancer, and uh, I had had a relationship with him uh, through this time. After uh, about ten years, after he walked away from the family, he lived over on the coast, and uh, and, and I would visit him, and and I would share with him as, uh, in those visits, and. And he was resistant to the idea of, of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, he would say, yeah, yeah, I've got it. Kind of, I got this. And um, when he got brain cancer, um, he, uh, uh, he, he realized that he, didn't, he doesn't got this. And, and, and sometimes it takes those kinds of things for us to realize that we don't got this. You know, it takes, it takes you know, hardened hearts to uh, uh, figure out that, uh, that we don't got this. And uh, when he was uh, uh, in, in the hospital, he was only a few weeks from, uh, from dying, uh, I was able to lead him to the Lord, and uh, he, was, uh, he, he invited Christ into his life. And I, how do I know that? Because I saw an incredible transformation take place in the, in the, in the next couple of weeks that was a softening that my dad never had. And, and one of those things was that he went from saying, I in everything that he did to we. And what he was talking about was, as we're going through the processes of, of, of estates and those kinds of things, and how uh, things were to be dealt with, he would say, now what do we have in this account or that place? What do we have? Where it used to be for years, it was what, do I, what I have. That was what he would say. I, this is what I have. This is what, it was all about what he had. And I never really, uh, I never embraced the idea that, that what he had is what I have, too, because that would uh, eventually be, uh, be the inheritance. But he says, we. And I would always say, Dad, what you have is this. And I would t- tell him, I would quote, what he has in his account, because I never accepted it as, as what I have. And the reason I go there with this discussion is because I think that's a lot of the ways we think about God. We think about That's his kingdom. And it is his kingdom, but it's ours too. You see, we're part of this kingdom. And I really learned a lesson through that process, And, and, and because I, I realized really the way I thought about my dad's kingdom. It was his. It was his thing. Because all those years, it was his thing. It was never our thing. And that's the way I viewed God, was that this is his kingdom. I'm just a servant in his kingdom. And many of us, I think, probably think that way, that it's just, I'm a servant in his kingdom. This is God's thing, and I'm just a servant in it. I don't think that's the way God views it. And I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to show you where to look at this today. Because I think we, if we understand what's really in our spiritual bank account, it would change the way we live. If we understood what God has given us, it changes who we are and how we live our lives. It, it, it has to. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a Bible open there, if you, I don't know, you guys are electronic these days, I guess. I, uh, I, don't, I don't function there yet. So I still do it the old way. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is... Addressing a church that is steeped in Roman culture, it's in what is modern-day Turkey today. It would be Asia Minor in the time of Christ. And it's north of Israel And, and Ephesus was a, a, it's a coastal city, and it was a major trade route. And so there's all kinds of things going on there and uh, uh, trade taking place the, and, and uh, the goddess and gods of the Romans were uh, they had uh, uh, these places erected to them and, and so uh, uh, this place is uh, steeped in Roman culture Paul understanding this he chooses to use language that they would understand and so turn with me and look at this Uh, Begin in verse 3. Look at what he says here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you don't have that, I'm sorry. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without uh, blame before him in love. Verse 5 having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now think with me for a minute how this looks, this idea of adoption. Now, uh, we may have a different idea. I asked my daughter the other day, I said, what's your idea of adoption? What do you you think of adoption? I said, does someone who's adopted into a family, are they the same as a natural-born son? And she thought for a second. She goes, no. And I said, okay, what about, what about uh, what the parents, how do, they, how do they treat an adopted p- person? Well, they're supposed to treat them the same way. I said, okay, I understand that. And that's kind of the way Rome understood it as well. You see, when a, a Roman would adopt somebody, they would, re- they would have the same benefits as a natural-born child so much so that they would even be given a signet ring to conduct business, the family business. They were that much a part of the family. You see, when Paul wrote this, this is the way they would have understood this. Adoption, it's not, sometimes we think of adoption as like a red stepchild. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about you're part of the family. You have the same rights. You have the same benefits as a natural-born child. Look at what he says we have here. And I want you to look at, as we read through some of this text, there's a common phrase, and I want you to take note of it, because I'm going to ask you about it here in just a little bit, so I want you to pay paying attention here. He says, He's predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What this means, in essence, is you have everything that the Son has. Who's the Son? You you don't want to say it, do you? It's Jesus, right? He's the Son. We we have everything by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You say, well, wait a minute, Bart. I, I don't have all of those things that Jesus had. We forget that Jesus came in his humanity, as well as deity. He was human. In fact, we see that humanity in a couple of places. But the first one I I want to take note of is is in uh, uh, Matthew. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew chapter 26. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, And he, in his humanity, he cries out to the Father. He's he's sweating blood at this point. He's he's only hours from the cross. He's feeling the tension. The Roman authorities are bearing down on him, and he knows that his time has come. And he cries out, and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's humanity. Here's the acceptance however not my will but yours be done that's the sonship you see he understood that he was going to the cross he also understood what that meant and he's asking the father if there's any other way to do this let that be done however not my will but yours be done now you and i have the same kinds of opportunities, because in John, in chapter 14, this is just before, this is a couple days before Jesus goes to the cross, in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says to us, he says, ask whatever you will in my name, and you'll have it. Now, how many of us read over that, and we really go, yeah, got it? No, most of us read over that and go, I don't get it. Because I ask for a lot, and I don't seem to be getting it. But let's look, at, let's look at the context of what he's talking about here. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, that you will have. I'll do that. What does it mean to be in his name? See, here's where we sometimes get separated from the idea. We have Everything. We're adopted sons. We're adopted children. But we have all of the benefits. And I think when we talk about this, we need to understand that it's in concert with what Zav is talking to us and teaching us about the spiritual gifts. Because we sometimes don't want to appropriate those things because we don't think they're really for us, if we're honest. But Jesus said these words. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. In other words, what's his name? That sounds like a signet ring to me, doesn't it, to you? Whatever you ask in my name, in other words, here's my signet ring. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying just that. Whatever you ask, that is for the kingdom, that is in service to the kingdom, then he'll do it. Well, wait a minute. You mean I can ask for anything in the kingdom and, and I'll have it? Yeah, there's one little caveat. There's still the veto. What do you mean the veto? Just like Jesus was vetoed there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was vetoed. If, there, if there's a way to, to do this, Lord, let that happen. If there's a way to do this without this happening, let that happen. But Jesus submitted to that Veto. When God answered, and, and with the Roman soldiers coming over the hill, said, "You're going. You're going in." Jesus said, "Okay." He yielded to the Father. That is where many of us get this idea of our prayer lives and and, our, and, and operating in the in, in in the spirit. We get this messed up because we misunderstand. What Jesus is saying and what He's doing, I see this, and it seems to me that the text indicates that in him I have all the benefits of a natural-born son. I get to have what He has. but in the will of the Father. You see the difference? You see how that works. Now we'll look, take a look with me. Let's look at this heavenly bank account that we have. Look at this account. He says this, verse six. Let's back up, verse five. He says we're adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise and glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the beloved. So we're accepted. You're accepted. I bet you there's some people in this room don't really feel that. They don't feel accepted in the beloved. We still feel like that redheaded stepchild. I wonder if there's somebody in here that doesn't feel like they're not accepted. Here's what God says. You're accepted. In Christ, you're accepted. In Him. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. What does the word redemption mean? By the way, what is the theme of this book? One word. Redemption. Exactly what the theme of this book is, is redemption. It's all about redemption. What is redemption? Redemption. Purchase back. It means to be purchased back. When you go and, and, you, and you put your car in a valet and they give you a little ticket. Okay, this little ticket represents your $30,000 car. It's a piece of paper. And you've got to take that to redeem your car, to get your car back. You're purchasing it back with that little piece of paper. That's redemption. That's the idea of redemption. We're redeemed by his blood We receive the forgiveness of sins. We could stop there. What amazing things we have in our bank account. Forgiveness of sins, redemption, acceptance, adoption. We were chosen. Move forward to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice it's, uh, there's, there's always that, that, that one little uh, thing there. It's in his will. All of this is in his will. You have received an inheritance. You've obtained an inheritance. Does everybody know what that inheritance is? Yeah. You got it. He's the inheritance. Heaven's the, 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 the secondary part of that. I don't think heaven would be heaven without Jesus' presence. I really believe that. I I don't think it would want to go to heaven unless Jesus was there. Because he's my Redeemer. He's the one that, that, that that allowed me to be a participant in all of these things. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13: In him, you also, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Anyone want to take a shot at what that word "sealed" means? You look it up in the Greek. I'm not going to bore you with all the words that you're not going to remember. Signet, signet, <laughs> signet ring. He stamped us. He sealed us with a signet ring. You're his possession. You're his possession. I'm his possession. And then he hands you a signet ring and says, "Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. You have the stamp. You, have the, uh, you can go and put the stamp of the family business, and you can dispense that. Uh, I still retain, God would say, I would still retain the, 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 the veto power. Why does he retain that? Because I don't always know how to do this. I see so limited, but he still offers me that authority in the family name. Now, take this back to my dad. I had to have all of the power to do the things he was doing because toward the end, he wasn't able to do anything. Our father is not that way, but my dad was that way, and I had to have the authority to make decisions. Up until the time he was unable to make those decisions, I still deferred to him. Dad, how do you want to do this? How would you like to do this? I was submitted to him because I still view this as his kingdom. It's his. All of this that was his is is still his. He says, No, son, it's we. And I think he actually had the heart of the father. Because he said, it's we. I love this part uh, uh, where Jesus comes to his disciples one day. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you what? Friends. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Paul still acknowledges that he's a bond slave of Christ. He's a bond servant, a slave by choice. You know what a bond slave was? A servant by choice? He was a friend. If you go back to the Old Testament, a bond slave in the Old Testament was one who served his master for seven years, and at the end of seven years, he could be then set free. But if he loved serving his master, he could go to his master and say, I love serving you. I want to stay in your house. I want to serve you. So the master would then take an awl, which is a big state, and he would drive it through the ear against the doorpost, the ear, and they would stick an earring through that. Most of you, some of you are there. You got those. It signified that this slave was a bond slave, He was a slave by choice. He became, uh, he loved his master and he wanted to serve in his house the rest of his days. And here's the thing, that th- this is really cool about this, is that that master was then bound to take care of that slave all of his days. Did you know that when you submit yourself to God, he, he, he takes care of you? It doesn't always look like what you think it should look like. It doesn't always look like what I think it should look like. Because in 20 years of, of, of pastoral ministry, I saw a lot of things and I went, Lord, this doesn't look like you. Zab's probably catching some of those now. Yeah, 30 years, well, yeah, it took a while to get to the 20-year ministry. That was, uh, t- the first 10 years was growth. So when I got to 20 years of ministry. I started I look back over my life and I went, God, you were there every moment of it. It was painful in places. But he's preparing me for something else. He's preparing you for something else. Now to wrap this up, I want to take a look at the phrase. What is the phrase? What is the phrase that we saw consistently in this passage? In him. In him. What does it mean to be in him? What does it mean to be in Christ? To have these spiritual benefits, to have this bank account, I have to be in him. There is a qualifier. It's in him. How do I get to be in him? What does that mean? It simply means this. Faith in him. He is the one who dispenses all of these things. He's the one who is the forgiver of sins. He's the one who adopted me. He's—it's all him. And when I, by faith, accept that and trust my life to that, he then says, "Done. All of it's yours." Well, you mean I don't have to earn anymore? Nope. See, that's the thing about sonship. I didn't earn a place in my father's family. I was a son. You two are sons, children, daughters of the king. And because you are sons and daughters of the king, you have a spiritual bank account that if you really recognize what you have, it changes the way you live. It makes you a little more bold It makes you a little more bold, because I know that the things that the Lord wants to do through my life and the things He wants to do through your lives is far beyond what you can think. He he said, Jesus said in the preceding verses in John chapter fourteen, just before that passage that you saw up there, He indicated that. He says, "It's all yours." I give it to you. What are you going to do with that? First of all, if you're not in Christ today is the day. Because that forgiveness of sin thing, that's huge. There is no other forgiveness of sins except through his blood. That's what started my journey. <laughs> when I was locked up that day, that was the one thing I knew I needed. I had a long road ahead of me, but I knew one thing: I knew I needed to be forgiven. And I didn't. By the way, the first time I went in to that to that jailhouse ministry, I didn't get saved. I heard the message, and they said you could be forgiven. I tried to get up out of that chair, but I physically could not move. It felt like a, a, a fifty-pound weight on me. I couldn't get out of the chair. I couldn't, I, I, was, I, was, I was, I was just warring with myself, this war going on in my heart, and sometimes, many of us know that war, we know that war that's gone on in our hearts, right? Is this true? And then you have another voice over here going, nah, forget this, and then there's another voice that's going, come on, you need to move on this, nah, nah, nah man, another. nothing. You have that war going on in your soul. So, the first time I walked out, when I was walking out, I walked out of that that chapel and I walked out and I felt heavier than when I walked in the first time. So much so that the next week I came back and and there was a different ministry team there. You know what was interesting about it? It was the exact same message. It's like, gee, I wonder if God was trying to get a point across to me. Exact same message, different group. You can be forgiven. Do you want forgiveness? And finally I got up, I pushed myself out of that chair, and I I, I found myself not walking, but I was running. And I hit the floor, and I started confessing sin, and I'm thinking, what's going on? I didn't know what was going on. About 20 minutes later, this guy looks at me, and he says, Jesus touched you. I said, he did more than that. Because when I walked out, I'd never been more free in my life. Freedom comes through the forgiveness of sins, and then you know if you have the forgiveness of sins. And I knew that day I had the forgiveness of sins that you have all of these other benefits as well. It's kind of like when you're sitting here today. You go, you know, I, I, I embrace that forgiveness of sins. And most of us as Christians, we do. We go, man, thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> thank you, thank you that you've chose me. We would raise our hands and go, thank you, for I, I'm chosen, thank you. I'm adopted, I don't quite understand that yet, but you know, thank you. Inheritance, I don't understand that yet either, but thank you. But when you embrace all of these and understand redemption, how will it change your life? How will you view the person across from you? And all they need to know is that in Him, they can have all these things too. In Christ. In Christ. In Him. Paul says it over and over and over again because he wants it into our minds. The treatise here, uh, 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 what, what Paul does at Ephesus and, and to the Ephesian church is the first three chapters he talks about the benefits we have, our spiritual bank account. And then the the next four through six, he teaches us how to use that. In light of that understanding, how do we live our lives? So you might want to, to, if you go home today, it's just a few chapters, take a look at Ephesians 4 through 6. Read the rest of the chapter, read the rest of the book. Find out what it is in your spiritual bank account and find out then how you live because of that. And you'll find that God has an amazing plan. Of redemption, forgiveness of sins for you. And you get to function in that, and you get to ask anything in his name, signet ring, anything in his name. And he'll say, eh, We're not going to go that way. That's not for the kingdom today. That's not what we're doing today. And then you say, Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. I submit in this to his will. You're going to find great freedom and great joy and honoring Him and serving Him in such a way. With that, let's pray. Father, it is our sincere delight in understanding these spiritual blessings that You have given us. These spiritual blessings that You've offered us are in Christ and found nowhere else. Such an exclusive thing, but so powerful. Lord, I pray that if there's any in this room that has not embraced faith in Christ, that they would do so today and discover these spiritual benefits, this bank account that they have, that they're not redheaded stepchildren. That they're not just the ones that stand off to the side while the blessings are given to the others. But that they're accepted. They're adopted. They're forgiven. They're redeemed. Lord, may we all live in such a way that our lives would be changed from glory to greater glory as we research these things and watch you work in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen.